Got questions? The Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Welcome to the God Questions Podcast with Shay Hoodman, President of God Questions Ministries. Welcome to the Got Questions Podcast. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Lee Strobel. He's the author of A Case for Christ, Case for Faith, and a new book, um, The Case for Heaven, which um, I've been looking forward to for a while. It's a different topic than his previous books, but with the same journalistic style. So, Lee, um, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Appreciate you having me. So, Lee, what led you to write The Case for Heaven? Well, um, several years ago, I almost died. Uh, my wife found me unconscious on the bedroom floor. She called the paramedics. I woke up in the emergency room um, and a doctor looked down at me and said, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. And so um, I lingered uh, sort of hovering over that fuzzy border between life and death for quite a while until doctors were able to save my life. I had an unusual condition called hyponatremia, which is a severe drop in my blood sodium level. And uh, I lost a kidney as part of it. And um, it's a very tricky uh, illness in the sense that they have to raise your blood sodium very, very carefully or uh, you'll end up disabled mentally or physically. And so um, it, it was a touch and go situation. I found it to be very clarifying. I don't know if you've ever come close to dying, but um, it's a clarifying experience. You begin to really wonder uh, with great curiosity what really does happen when we close our eyes for the last time in this world uh, do we are we cast into oblivion uh, are we reincarnated are we in the presence of god do we end up in hell i was a christian at the time so i believe what the bible taught but um i'm also you know got a skeptical gear and um i wanted to be sure that the Bible's teachings on the afterlife really stood up to modern science, philosophy, history, and uh, theology, and so forth. And so that's what kind of was the seed that eventually resulted in the new book, The Case for Heaven. So in your research and writing this book, um, what are some of the, the most popular or most common misconceptions about heaven that you ran across? Well, I think people uh, often depict heaven as being an ethereal place uh, where we're disembodied souls that sort of float among the clouds and play harps all day and sing hymns and, uh, you know, th this this uh, non-physical kind of situation. And, and actually, the Bible in Revelation does not say that God said, I'm going to create all new things. In other words, I'm going to wipe everything out and create this ethereal world. Uh, he said, I'm going to make all things new and uh, we'll have a new heavens and a new earth. And so this is a very physical heaven. Uh, it, it is a place um, um, where we will be resemble the present earth, but without the effects of sin. Uh, it will be uh, a place, I believe, that will be theocentric, where we focus on God, but also very relational uh, in terms of other people. Um, there'll be mountains and streams and animals, and uh, Isaiah and Revelation both talk about that. And um, so um, I think it'd be very physical. There'll be festivals, there'll be parties, there'll be banquets. And um, in heaven, and a lot of people don't realize this, but in heaven every year, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Yeah, don't have to go a century in between wins with the Cubs <laughs> that's, anymore. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, they're on a great clockwork. Every century they win at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. um, I have some friends who are Cubs fans who I 
I was not a Cubs fan myself, but I was celebrating along with them when the Cubs won the World Series a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, that was, was a awesome. long time in between. <laughs> you know, when I when I was a toddler, Ernie Banks, uh, Mr. Cub, was a rookie shortstop at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents took me to a banquet where he was speaking. And uh, I fell down before the talk, the speeches began uh, during the dinner, uh, fell down um, behind his chair and he picked me up and put me in his lap. And at the end, he kissed me on the cheek. Oh, so no. I, I was kissed by Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks. So I have to be a Cubs fan. It's like expected of me. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so besides, um, <laughs> Besides events like that and um, what you've discovered in your research, and what would you say are evidences for heaven outside the Bible? And I don't like asking questions like that because I just want to make sure our listeners know what the Bible says is is plenty enough for me. But a lot of people are not of that perspective or find other evidences outside the Bible to supplement what the Bible says is very helpful. So what— In your research, what did you come across? That's that's a very good caveat to throw in there because um, I don't base my theology on, on evidence outside the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, we have compelling evidence both in Scripture and outside Scripture that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, but proved it by returning from the dead. And so what he says about heaven is definitive. Uh, and so that's what I look at for in terms of understanding uh, heaven. But, you know, you're right. Uh, it does, I think, encourage our faith and deepen our faith when we see that, for instance, neuroscience and, and other disciplines are supportive of what the Bible's teachings about the afterlife are like. Uh, so it's important to understand that um, there are actually two phases to the afterlife. Um, The Apostle Paul said uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the repentant criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So that suggests that there's a first phase of heaven, a present heaven, a intermediate state in which when we die physically, our spirit, our soul separates from our physical body and continues to be conscious either in the presence of God in paradise or separated from God in Hades. At the end of history, when Jesus returns, uh, that is when we are united with our resurrected bodies. Uh, We go through final judgment, and then we spend eternity in a very physical place, either heaven or hell. So um, the question becomes then, well, how do we know that our spirit, our soul, our consciousness does survive our death. And that's when I probed the area of near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I was a skeptic about near-death experiences. I thought they could be explained away by, you know, oxygen deprivation or hallucinations, a dying brain, last gasps or something like that. Well, it's just not, that's just not a good explanation. Um, the Lancet, which is the prestigious British medical journal, carried an article saying that, that none of the common explanations for near-death experiences uh, hold water. And uh, they all fail to explain all the dimensions of what occurs in a typical near-death experience. So, uh, in fact, there have been uh, about 900 scientific studies of near-death experiences uh, published in scientific and medical journals over the last 40 years. So it's a very well-researched area of science. And what we find is that we have corroboration that indeed our spirit, our soul, our consciousness does survive our clin- at least our clinical death. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not the permanent, irrevocable death that uh, the Bible talks about, but it's clinical death. It's we're declared dead. There's no brain waves. There's no heartbeat. There's no breathing and so forth. Um, and by corroboration, what I mean is that uh, people who have that out-of-body experience where their consciousness separates from their uh, clinically dead body often will see things or hear things that are impossible for them to see or hear if they had not uh, had this experience of their consciousness separating from their body. So, for instance, there was a heart attack victim by the name of Maria who's declared dead. And yet she describes how she, uh, her spirit separated from her body in the hospital. It floated out of the hospital. And when it was returned to her body and she was reanimated, uh, she said, by the way, on the roof of the hospital in the third story landing, there's a shoe. And it's a man's tennis shoe. It's left footed. It's dark blue. Um, there's some wear over the little toe and the shoelace is tucked under the heel. And they went up and checked, and sure enough, um, they found it exactly as she had said. So this suggests that uh, this is corroboration, uh, mm-hmm. that there is some experience. And, you know, one guy, one researcher studied uh, over 90 cases where people with out-of-body experiences made verifiable observations. And it was like 92 or 93 percent of them, their, their reports were 100 percent accurate. Another 6 percent were almost exactly accurate. So it's an incredibly powerful uh, statistic. Um, you look at one guy studied 21 blind people, um, half of them blind since since birth. And yet they could see during their near-death experiences. There was a woman named Vicky who was uh, in a coma from a car accident and, and uh, clinically dead. And yet she described later how she was conscious the whole time. She watched the resuscitation effort. She, she uh, saw people and plants and, and birds for the first time. And yet when her spirit returned to her body and was reanimated, she lost her sight <laughs> again. And uh, one medical researcher said, this is medically impossible. So we have many, and I document in my book, The Case for Heaven, many examples of this kind of corroboration. Now, you did point out quite accurately that we, we shouldn't depend on these things for our theology about the afterlife. But it's interesting that John Burke, who was a Christian pastor in Austin, Texas, and actually a friend of mine for the last 30 years, we were pastors together at a church many, many years ago, studied a thousand near-death experiences over 35 years. And his conclusion is, if you look at the core, the common core of near-death experiences, and you look at what actually happens, not how people interpret it, but how it actually, what actually happens, it's consistent with Christian theology. Mm -hmm. So that's another form of, of corroboration. It's fascinating. I've I've heard many accounts, even from a couple of friends who had like out-of-body near-death experiences. Really? Experienced one myself, and I'm for that, I'm grateful that I've never been that near death, but no. Yeah, I mean, didn't have one when I was close yeah. to death. I, I didn't have that. I had uh, what I would say would be hallucinations mm-hmm. um, because hyponatremia causes the your brain cells to take in moisture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so your brain expands in your skull and hallucinations are a product of that experience. So I had hallucinations, but that's not a near-death experience. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I can't speak personally of it, but uh, as I say, it's a well-studied phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So here's an interesting question related to that, but also to transition to a new topic you talk about a lot in um, The Case for Heaven. I've always found it interesting that I've very rarely do it when I hear about a near-death experience, 
does that involve them potentially um, not going to heaven? Mm. Everyone's near-death experience, or almost everyone's, is a pleasant experience. They're ascending into heaven before their body is mm. um, brought back down. So why do you think that is? If yes. it matches Christian theology, because obviously we don't believe, sadly, that everyone is going to heaven. So why right. do the vast majority of near-death experiences involve someone going to heaven per se? Yeah. That, that's a great question. And I think there's several ways to look at that. Number one, keep in mind, these people are not irrevocably dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says uh, you are appointed once to die and then the judgment. They're not dead in that sense. Uh, they are clinically dead. They're not breathing. There's zero brain waves, zero uh, heart activity. Uh, and so forth. So they're clinically dead, but they're not irrevocably dead. How do we know? Because they do return to their body. So that's why I believe they don't go through a judgment. And that's why in some cases where people who are, um, you know, about 23%, uh, according to one study, and actually higher in Europe, have horrible experiences, have hellish experiences. And, you know, you look at the case of, for instance, Sam Storm, Uh, Sam was an atheist. He was a professor of art at a secular university, head of the chairman of the department. He died in the hospital and uh, and yet his spirit continued on. He had a spirit body and he was beckoned by some real friendly folks to follow him down the hospital corridor. And so he did. And they kept walking and walking and walking. And then these these uh, people accompany him became abusive and began to hit him and bite him and attack him and claw at him. Uh, and uh, he said, I was reduced to roadkill. His ears were ripped off. One eye was destroyed. Um, he said, there's just no horror movie that can depict how horrific this attack was. And he called out to Jesus in the middle of that, even as an atheist. And Jesus uh, came and rescued him from this. This was so powerful of an experience. When he was revived, he not only uh, renounced his atheism, he not only became a Christian, he resigned his tenured professorship at the university, uh, became an ordained minister, and to this day is the pastor of a tiny little church in rural Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, you know, yeah. this idea of Jesus rescuing you post-mortem, that doesn't sound very biblical, Um, And yet he wasn't irreversibly dead at the time when he would face the judgment. Um, So I think that's kind of the way that I put it together. Yeah. Uh, Near-death experiences are fascinating. And I I like really how you put it both here and in the book that they can be um, corroborated. However you say that word, evidence of what the Bible already says. So just kind of using it as a little bit of transition in your book, you do talk quite a bit about about hell, about the eternal destiny we want to avoid through Christ. But how does our view of hell um, impact our view of heaven? Well, you know, um, I I felt like I had to deal with hell if I was going to deal with heaven. I want to deal with the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, let's face it, this is a important dimension of the afterlife. And um, the Bible clearly teaches that there is uh, a hell. There's a lot of controversy in the church currently because a lot of younger pastors particularly are pushing a theology called annihilationism. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the idea that the unrepentant are snuffed out of existence at death and therefore, or shortly thereafter, and therefore uh, do not have an eternal conscious experience in hell. Um, and I, I, I lay out the case for that in the book. Um, I was actually interviewed by an annihilationist, um, and he said, thank you for 
presenting our case uh, in an accurate way. But my conclusion is it, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny that you can make a good biblical case for it, but not a convincing biblical case, mm-hmm. despite the fact that John Stott, the great evangelical leader of the 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, became an annihilationist toward the end of his life. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think it's convincing. And uh, so I, I point out in the book why I believe that's true. And also, as you mentioned, I, um, you know, universalism, uh, Rob Bell and a lot of writers, you know, have been pushing universalism. And again, that the case for that is much less persuasive biblically than the case for annihilationism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that's a heretical position. So I, I, I felt like if I was going to deal with heaven, I had to deal with hell and I had to do it in a biblical way. And um, because people need to understand that, you know, all are not saved. And, um, you know, the Bible says um, in John 1, 12, but as many as received him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And uh, so it is those that receive this free gift of God's grace who will be assured of eternity with him. Um, but there's a, there's another side to it that needs to be explored. So that's excellent. Uh, we've had um, a recent podcast episode where we discussed um, what the Bible says about um, eternity and hell. Yeah. And then I actually did interview and a friend of mine who is an annihilationist and allowed him yeah. to present his viewpoint on that. And yeah. I didn't even want it to be like a debate. It's like, no, I, I want people to be familiar with this viewpoint because right. while, dis- while I disagree with it, I don't view it as heretical. And yeah. most people have never even been exposed to a positive presentation of it. And yes. so I listen to what this person has to say, perhaps read his book and then go on and study the scriptures and examine these things and come to a biblically based conclusion on eternal destiny based on what scripture says. It's not necessarily what you've always been taught. Exactly. And I think um, I agree with you. It's a secondary issue. I don't think it's a a heresy, annihilationism. I just don't think it's sufficiently supported by scripture for me to believe it. Um, But I believe a lot of well-intentioned people who have bought into it, but I think they're ignoring some important biblical evidence on the other side. Sure. So maybe our, based on the time, we have a final question for you today. How should our view of heaven and hell, or life after death, impact um, how we live our lives today? Well, I think it should give us a sense of urgency, first of all, to tell others the good news about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because hell is, you know, the, the, the best news about heaven is that it's real. Mm-hmm. The worst news about hell is that it's real. Yeah. But the greatest news of all is nobody has to go to hell, that, that uh, Jesus went to the cross to die as our substitute to pay the penalty we deserve for the sins that we've committed. Mm-hmm. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace to anybody in any culture at any time who turns to him in repentance and faith can be have a relationship with God in eternity in heaven forever. So that's an important message that mm-hmm. and, and I personally become more motivated to tell other people this good news, uh, especially because, A, I want them to spend eternity with me in heaven uh, and B, I especially want them to avoid uh, going to hell. Uh, so I think of my father in law, who was an atheist uh, his whole life, and um, um, he was very ill and uh, I shared the gospel one last time with him and implored him to come to faith. And he did. And then he immediately had a stroke and ended up dying. Uh, 
so in the last cogent conversation of his life, he received this free gift of God's grace, forgiveness, and eternal life. And I believe he'll be in heaven with me. Mm-hmm. And um, why was I motivated uh, at that important moment of the final moments of his life to do that? Because I believe that heaven is real. I believe that hell is real. The other thing I think for Christians, it should encourage us in our faith. You know, Jesus uses, and the Bible uses a lot of different metaphors about heaven. And I think that's because our minds can't understand it yet. You know, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived of what God has in store for those that love him. And so the Bible uses metaphors to try to suggest what heaven will be like. And uh, Jesus in, in John chapter 14, talking to his disciples, says to them basically, hey, guys, don't be afraid of death. Uh, there's plenty of room in my father's home. And I love this metaphor of home. And for me as a Christian, I think studying that really encouraged me because, you know, I, I know that, you know, when I've been abroad in third world countries, I remember going to India for a number of weeks uh, doing ministry in a very rural, very primitive, very difficult area of India, living out of a backpack for several weeks, eating foods that you're unfamiliar with, sleeping on rocks and and on the ground. Um, You begin to long for home. You have a homesickness. And and then when you finally do get home and you get into your house and you get into your own bed, it's such a place of comfort and joy and love and satisfaction and fulfillment. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's the metaphor. I want you to remember if you're a follower of mine, that's our real home. We're going to spend, you're going to spend more time in that home than in any home in this world. Mm-hmm. And so I'm encouraged uh, by the study of heaven um, to uh, anticipate it more, to have a more balanced view of, of, of the fear of death. You know, the Bible talks in Hebrews about the fear of death that we have. And it says that the antidote for that is Jesus. Um, It's a robust view of Jesus and of the afterlife. And when we have that, it gives us confidence in the face of death. And as someone who, you know, came close to dying, I know at that moment of death, there's nothing you want more than confidence uh, that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. In fact, the first verse I ever memorized as a new Christian uh, in 1 John says, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order you may know that you have eternal life. So God doesn't want us on our deathbed in a sense of anxiety and apprehension and nervousness and uh, fear over our eternal destination. He says, you can know that you're going to spend eternity with me. Uh, So when we do know that, when we we have that security that we've come to faith in Christ, we have a relationship with him, we're adopted as his son or adopted as his daughter. I think it gives us a sense of courage, especially in this COVID age when so many people are dying. Uh, my brother died of uh, during the, the pandemic, and so many people have lost family members. 29% of Americans have lost uh, family members or friends to COVID. And so people are thinking about this. They're fearful of death. And, and, and I just hope my book uh, encourages folks. And also the gospel is, is, is in this book. And if you read it, you will understand what it takes to be confident that you'll spend eternity with God. So again, this is the Guy Questions podcast with special guest Lee Strobel. I could not recommend The Case for Heaven more highly. I've not finished it yet, but um, a couple of other employees um, grabbed it before I had a chance to read it. So um, it's an excellent book, just like Lee's previous books. And so we'll include links to where you can purchase the book and Lee's uh, other materials. And even you could learn a little more about Lee Strobel if you're not 
familiar with him. So Lee, just really quickly, in addition yeah. to your writing ministry, and um, tell us a little bit, what is the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism yeah. and Applied Apologetics, and what other things um, are keeping you busy these days? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, you know, I, this is my legacy project. Uh, we created a Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. I harnessed 40 PhDs from around the country. We created 91 courses all online, all accredited. You can get a bachelor's degree in evangelism and apologetics. You can get a master's degree all online. And even more than that, we have certificate courses. And these are for people that don't want a degree, but they'd love to take an online course at their own pace on Islam or on the resurrection or on world religions or a number of different topics. And so we, we have all that available. We've kept the prices really, really low. Uh, we've got hundreds of students in our master's degree program already. Uh, we just announced the certificate level, and so we're, we're just starting to fill that. But uh, we're excited to create a new generation of Christians that understand not just um, what they believe, but why they believe it. Uh, mm -hmm. My friend Jay Warner Wallace said evangelism in the 21st century is spelled apologetics. And apologetics, of course, refers to defending the faith, giving mm -hmm. reasons for the hope that we have in Christ. And I think that's true. So we hope to train a bunch of people. Um, and if people want to explore opportunities there, if they go to Strobel Center, all one word, strobelcenter.com, it'll take them right over to the, uh, the website. Again, it's all online, so you can do it mm -hmm. from the comfort of your home. Also, another thing keeping me busy, we're doing a documentary on the case for heaven. Uh, we've been filming that. I have two more filming dates coming up and it'll be in movie theaters in March. Uh, so three nights in movie theaters and then it'll live stream uh, for people that want to watch it at their home. So uh, that's been keeping me busy. I bet. Uh, but but the thing that keep, keeps me most busy is being a grandfather. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got four great grandchildren uh, from the ages of eight to 16. And uh, I take my role as a grandfather very seriously. <laughs> well, fantastic. So again, there'll be links to um, all, all the items that Lee just mentioned, both in the, the show notes and on the description on the YouTube channel and then at podcast.gotquestions.org. So Lee, thank you again for being on the show. I really enjoyed our talk. I did too. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, blessings to you and all your listeners. This has been the Got Questions podcast. Got Questions, Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Your questions, biblical answers. The Got Questions podcast. Check us out at podcast.gotquestions.org.